We have reached the end of our journey. Today, we're going to talk about Rambo Last Blood, the latest and probably last Rambo film. Before we go into detail, let's just talk a little about the plot. 11 years after the events of Rambo 4, John Rambo lives on the horse ranch left to him by his father. And for keen observers and followers of this series, that will be the last shot of Rambo 4. Life finally seems to be good for the man. He has his work with the horses and is helped there by lifelong Rambo family friend Maria Beltran and her granddaughter Gabrielle. He's given them a home and they help him through the darker times of his memories. Then Gabrielle finds out where her estranged father is living in Mexico. Her mother, Maria's daughter, died some years ago. Both Maria and John know the father's no good, but Gabrielle doesn't listen and sneaks over the border into Mexico. There she is tricked and sold as a sex slave. For the aging Rambo, this may well be his last mission, as he travels to Mexico to get Gabrielle back. However, he is about to find out how ruthless the drug and sex cartels are. So although David Morrell didn't have any connections to this film, he's come out publicly and said how much he dislikes it. I think he called it a mess and a, quote, clumsy exploitation film. But Brian Tyler came back to score the film, and it's actually the shortest of the Rambo films, coming in in only 89 minutes. While Sylvester Stallone has said that he would like to make another Rambo film, even though he called this one Last Blood, the film kind of underperformed the box office, so we might not see another one with Sylvester Stallone. Though there is some talk of a prequel, I think. There is, yes, and potentially take the character on with another actor. So, in a sense, we've come full circle. Rambo almost comes home in this film, and I stress the word almost. It's about 50-50 set in America and Mexico. What's interesting, if we go back to Rambo 2, Sylvester Stallone denied he's a Republican and has stated he did not vote for Donald Trump. However, much of the politics from this film seemed to come from a Trump playbook. The only good Mexicans are the ones who rely on John Rambo's generosity, being the housekeeper or the journalist. Other than that, there's various shades of evil, and it reflects the words that Trump said when he was on his campaign trail. There also seems to be no real barrier against getting in and out of the United States, again, playing on a fear that's been stoked up in the past. Oh, this is a, this is the, the, the border thing is nothing, nothing new in American politics, but it's been a discussion a long time, knowing what to do, how to, our, our immigration system's a joke. The, the border is a mess on, in every way. The, the tension centers have been awful. They've been awful for the past 10 years. Because they didn't start under Trump. They've been going on for a lot longer. And that's interesting what you're saying. We've not had that many films that have dealt with the sort of border situation. If you go back 40 years to 1980-81, you had films like Borderline with Charles Bronson or The Border with Jack Nicholson. But it's not really been a theme. I mean, Sicario didn't play on it that much, although they seem, again, to be able to sneak in and out between Mexico and America. Not as much as this, where it's really easy for all parties to get in and out of Mexico. All you have to do is drive a truck through a barbed wire fence. Yeah, apparently, yeah, that made me laugh. 
I thought they'd gone through the border like he did to get in. And so I assumed they were in the U.S. for about five minutes of film time before realizing they were still in Mexico and seeing them drive over you know, through the, the barbed wire fence. That was kind of funny to me. I don't know if that exists on the border. My experience with being on the U.S.-Mexico border has been, you know, pretty high fences, not, you know, a little barbed wire thing held up by poles. I thought that was his boundary fence. I think that there's a sign that says, you know, this is the border or don't cross or oh, whatever. Right, but right. I don't assume he would he would barrel through his own boundary fence like that. Because of yeah. the quickest way to get home, I guess. Probably yeah. was the border. Yeah. The cartel tunnels, though, that's a thing that's been happening for years. Every so often, they find another one, and they have, they cl- shut it down or they close it down. The cartels are working on both sides of the border, playing everything. So, And, of course, U.S. government corruption is no help there. No. Well, I, that's featured heavily in Sicario as well. The tunnels are yeah, a big yeah. point in Sicario. And um, Before we go into the presentation of what it does for, for Mexico, I mean, one of the things you've got to say is the truth is Mexico does have a huge problem with sex trafficking, and that is controlled by the cartels. That is factually correct. I mean, yeah, I was, it's, it's I, one of the worst in the world, I think. Yeah, when I was researching this, there's a place called, um, uh, let me see if I get this pronunciation right, Tenanchingo. It's got a ratio of one in every 10 people is involved in the sex trade. Oh. I mean, it's Mexico is the second worst country in the world for child prostitution. It's centered in tourist locations like Cancun. Odd that, isn't it? That's a bit like Thailand. Oh, we've got the sex trade and it's in tourist locations. What tourism do we get there? Apparently, from what I've researched, most of the sex slave trade is financed by Americans coming over and purchasing sex. No good having a sex trade without rich people coming over, is there? Or not even rich people. They don't have to be rich. No. There's have to be people willing to come over and spend some money on some, some sex life. The um apparently most of the, the, the people that have been trafficked are from Central America, Central and South America. A lot of them are being promised, you know, hey, we'll get you up to the US, we'll get you through the border, you're or we'll give you a good job. And so they come up thinking that their life is gonna be great and then they just get put into hell. That's one of the arguments for people actually building a border wall is to create a visual barrier that kind of acts as a mental barrier in knowing that there's something that they literally have to get over in order to get through. And it's not going to be easy so that people aren't, aren't going to be as willing to try to make it up to the border. It's a mess. What about people going the other way? That wouldn't deter people going into Mexico to take advantage of the sex trade. No, it wouldn't. Which How would you stop the, that? Mexico needs to put up their own wall. okay so back to rambo Uh, (laughs) and as fascinating as that was i mean it's interesting that it deals with the problem of the cartels but not what's feeding it so it does fall Mm -hmm. short on that but i wish it had shown it that a little bit because i think that would have uh, driven the point home a little bit harder yeah because it does show i mean once they get into mexico there is nothing there that's good when Gabrielle gets to the street where she's going to see her friend in inverted commas, she gets out, there's dirt, there's rubbish everywhere. You've got Mexicans sitting on top of that car drinking beer. It's not a flattering picture. I can't believe all of Mexico's like that. The border places are pretty much like that, yeah. They are, are they? You can actually stand on the U.S. border and look over into Mexico. The towns are right up against each other, essentially separated by the fence. 
and you can see there's the complete difference. The tourist places are gussied up where the tourists are going to go. But Mexico has such a high rate of impoverishment. It is really difficult. You're going to get the ghettos and stuff like that. So, so Neil and Graham, I mean, Elijah and I have, have seen this film now a couple of times each. You guys have only just watched it. What are your thoughts? It's taken. It's a bit of taken. It's a bit of uh, John Wick 2 with the tunnels. It's a bit of derivative, derivative, derivative. You're missing out Home Alone, by the way. I, I think it the tunnels harks back more to John, to the first Rambo where he's in the mines. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I'm with David Morrell. This is a, a mess and a clumsy exploitation film. Again, I so like the first one that anything that followed it was just, I felt, it just went in the wrong direction. It wasn't interesting at all. I mean, yes, it it started well, and there were moments where I thought, ooh, well, that's interesting. Something's going to happen there. And it's something seemed to be a better film seemed to be bubbling under the surface, but it never actually broke free. I, I liked the start of it, you know, with Rambo finding peace and, and sort of family and the horses and the close family ties. I thought that was really lovely. It was a bit like Unforgiven with, um, you know, the, the wild beasts had been tamed and the, the killer had been tamed and he was now actually in his the, the autumn of his life and he was looking back at Vietnam. He got some flashes, but they didn't seem to trouble him like in the first one. And he does say to Bryce when she says, you know, what was it like in Vietnam? He remembers the good things. He says, I had some of the best friends I ever had for a while. Which is interesting because the camera shot that opens when it goes through the house. There's yeah. a picture of the chap he was going to see at the very start of First Blood up on the yeah. wall. So mm-hmm. so it does sort of cover it that way. Now, what's interesting is that we're missing a prologue. Uh, oh. There's a 10-minute prologue that went to every country except America and Britain because they felt it would confuse the audience in those two countries. <laughs> so they cut it out. We're not smart enough, guys. We need to give up now. So, you know, the French, the Germans, the Swiss all had it. We didn't. It was a sequence where John Rambo rescues some people caught in a storm near near to his ranch, and it brings back all the memories of Vietnam. So in the beginning, when he's training the horses and he's sitting in the tunnels, he again has those memories, comes to the surface. But yeah, it was bizarre. It's not even in deleted scenes on the um, Blu-ray. Oh, wow. So yeah, two countries in the world couldn't have that sequence. And that's everybody on this uh, on this podcast. <laughs> so does that explain the tunnels? Because the tunnels were a bit strange to me. You, so, you see them and you think, oh, that's interesting. I know the tunnels system in Vietnam was very important for the Viet Cong. Is there going to play a sort of a switcheroo here? Is there going to be something come up about the tunnels? But nothing happens, really. But, the but, tunnels but I, are just there. To, Doesn't to it me, say in the first film that he, he fought in tunnels and did some stuff yes. like that? Yes, yeah. he did, yeah. But but do you not think that represents him never being able to leave Vietnam, that a part of him's there? Now, I come to you on this, Elijah. I mean, you know, we, we've spoken at great length in this series about your father-in-law and some of the things that he's come with. I mean, has Vietnam ever left him? I would say yes and no. He was able to find a life when, when he got mm. back, my grandfather-in-law was, and uh, he's had a, a pretty good life. I mean, he and my, and my grandmother-in-law have been married for over 50 years. They've got kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. And 
he remembers everything. And he's yeah. one of the few Vietnam vets that I know who will actually talk about his experiences, though I'm sure yeah. there's a lot that he won't tell me. I think the point with Rambo is that he's never been allowed to fully come back. He's spent, you know, last 50 years dealing with all of this. And then he comes home and he's trying to, but he still needs to have a li- that little bit of comfort. It's like, you know, a soldier coming back and sleeping on a soft bed. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, instead of, you know, living in a house, he <laughs> lives in the, the tunnels. That's kind of his coping mechanism. Do you think then that a more interesting film, rather than what we see here, would be the 10-year difference between Rambo 4 and the start of this film, how he finds that life? Might have made a more interesting, if less action-y film? I think the way this film starts out, giving us a good amount of time with him and his niece, it allows us to see what his life has become. And the point of the film is to show that he'll, he'll never be able to find peace. And so it shows you this piece. It shows you what he's been able to heal to and, and bring himself back from only to take everything out from underneath him and to turn him back into the killer once more that he's essentially always been and, and he'll never be able to escape. And in that sense, it's a tragedy and it's not just a, an action slaughter fest. You, but you make a really good point there because he does say the line early on, he wished that he had never gone to Vietnam. So what happens to the girl, the tragedy that befalls the girl, is in a way the tragedy befell him because he left home when he should never have done. You know what you are. What you're made of. Wars in your blood. Don't fight it. You didn't kill for your country. You killed for yourself. Neil, did the characters work for you? Well, John Rambo, what is it? 37 years of him. I, I don't enjoy these films. I just find them too... Action-y. Too sort of made up and silly. I appreciate the whole Vietnam vet thing and, and the message he's trying to give, but the just films don't seem to do it. Yeah, sure, there's a whole load of angst and everything, which is terrific, and I, I think some of it... He is quite good at it, but I suppose there was twists showing he's a bit old where he gets beaten up to begin with, but then walks in, kills somebody, walks out, goes home, prepares everything, and then all the baddies just walk through the tunnels all the time instead of just going back out and thinking of another plan. It's just... When there were good bits in it, and I'm sure, as, as well, as Graham said, there's a good film in there. Just don't think that was it. I agree with both you and Elijah. He is the tortured soul hmm. who can never rest and never find peace. And that's what I'd like to explore. Not these explosions of violence. I'd like to, you know, I'd like to know that that what happened in the 10 years, how he found some modicum of solace in his life. But you don't get that. You just go, oh, no, it's an action film and Rambo has to be an action star and let's just turn him into a killing machine. And I thought in this one they did turn the gore up to 11 because mm. some of it was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, horrible. <laughs> it never quite reaches the moment where he takes a fifty cal in number four. <laughs> but, but, but ripping somebody's collarbone out, I've never seen that one before. Chopping heads off and stuff. That was pretty pretty brutal. Yeah, yeah, the, the collarbone was definitely brutal. 
And in some of the moments were overkill, like the guy's falling in the pit of spikes and he just takes a machine gun and just you know, you know, whittles I, them with bullets. Yes, <laughs> just I, in I, case they're not dead enough. Yeah, yeah. I, I was yeah. thinking that last week when I, I when I rewatched it just before we recorded this, thinking these people are dead. Why are you wasting? Well, bullets? I I assumed that the gunfire was to bring them on. Yeah, and to keep bringing them oh. on, but. Why would they still walk on? Neil's yeah. unleashed is in a Rambo. Well, part yeah. of it is that they get lost in the tunnels. Yes. yes well, even retracing your steps would be a good thing to disaster this bomb, that bomb, that, the other bomb. Yeah. Um, no, we know what but, happened when you tried to retrace your steps in the Minotaur lair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they didn't have any red thread. That's what no. they need. No. They need they need red thread is really the kryptonite for any tunnel system. <laughs> it is, yes. If it's yeah. yellow thread, you're screwed. Oh, yeah. no, that just doesn't work. That's crazy talk. Obviously it doesn't, no. <laughs> so the other theme that comes through in this film is that of the Western. Obviously, the being on the, on the border with, with Mexico, uh, there's a lot with horses in this film. You've got that mythology, and we've just done a show recently on El Dorado. And one of the things that I like about El Dorado is you've got these guys played by John Wayne and Robert Mitchum, who are now well past their prime, but they survive because they're cleverer, they have experience, and they know their environment. So when Rambo's down in Mexico and they beat the hell out of him, you know, when he's left for dead, he's out of his comfort zone. Yes. After yeah. that. He then becomes like John Wayne. He is in control of the environment and forces these people into it. Now, I take Neil's point that, yes, they were a bit silly going into the tunnels, but they did it all the same. In a sense, that's a Vietnam story reversed. you got people thinking, we can go into his territory. There's more of us than him. We'll take him out. Well, underestimating him is one thing, but once he's blown up one car and then forced them down the road bit by um, setting fire to everywhere else and making them go towards the tunnels, you probably think, actually, let's let's just think about this. Why don't we yeah. just surround it? Some of the problems with the film, so they can run this whole thing with, I mean, it was obviously a big operation and they were obviously could, handle that and they obviously had guards out the first time he arrives and everywhere he goes they're there standing waiting for him and And I enjoyed that piece of the film I thought that was interesting so when he was on their turf it didn't work out for very well for him so he goes and kills the brother to get them to come after him because then they're on his turf and he he will deal with them on his terms and I actually liked that idea but yes. then it just got a bit silly but there's underestimating and then there's underestimating isn't there yeah no, maybe, I mean, this is the uh, guy that they beat up earlier yes yes yeah. Yeah. but they, still they, he managed um, to walk in rescue the girl and kill the second in command with without much problem and take his head away yeah and there was a nice reference to old boy in that scene where he oh with the hammer with yes. a hammer yes I had no problem with that because these people are in such control. They have such power by word more than anything else because of the deeds they've done in the past that for it to be as protected as it was and for Rambo to walk in and take them out as he did, I didn't see that as that far-fetched. I, I could quite believe that. I think where mm. it became interesting then is, yes, it, it, and we've referenced it already, it's like Taken. You've got He's playing the Liam Neeson character. He rescues the girl. but then. 
unlike Taken, the girl dies. You've yeah. got this tragic thing that runs through it, and it runs through all the Rambo films. I mean, that was quite a good twist, I thought. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. Well, enjoyed yeah, it. It brings but... the tragedy just, yes, you know, yeah. full circle. Yes, it's not just Taken. It was also John yeah, he, Wick, and yeah, and it's and you know, in the former films, he's he's mostly fighting for himself, and in this one, up until the beginning, he's fighting for his his niece. Yeah, he's doing everything he can to protect her because he's raised her. Yes. And then realizing that he failed, that he failed so utterly that now she's, you know, dead in his car. Yes. Yeah, yeah very much like the Vietnamese girl in Rambo 2. She's helped him, so he's going to help her get out of Vietnam, but then she's killed by, again, by the bad guys in that, so he goes on the revenge trail. The only female that survived being around John Rambo for any length of time is Julie Benz, who played the missionary in Rambo 4. And the uh, the reporter in this film. Oh, yes, that's a good point. Yes, she survived. But she'd already been touched by tragedy, hadn't she? Because yes, her, sister, um, yeah. her sister had died. And, yeah. and, and again, there's an interesting take. So this comes back to this whole thing of the Mexicans in this film. All the ones that survived are touched by tragedy. The woman whose niece had died, she goes off. You've got the reporter whose sister has died, who initially is saying to John Rambo, don't do this, you'll only end up dead. She doesn't yep. realize who she's talking to. Well, I will help you in the end. And of course, it then causes the mayhem of the second part of the film. Uh, yeah. Just just as an aside, Jeff, I thought this was a very well directed film. Mm. I thought the direction was very good. I liked the piece they did when they were in Mexico and he was going up all those steps and all the guys were appearing out of windows and above him with mobile phones. And they were obviously texting one another as they went up the steps. And I thought that quite complicated, twisty, turny, lots of actors involved, moving the story forward until he gets right up onto the top level. I thought that was so well done. I thought the bits in the tunnel were well done. You didn't lose your place in that. Yes. Uh, I thought it was very well directed. Yeah, Stallone at one point was going to direct it, then backed out of it. And it was a chap called Adrian Grunberg who yes. directed yeah. it in the end, just looking at his previous credits. He's done a whole load of assistant director, hasn't yes, he? Yes, and a lot. Oh, I see why Graham liked it so much. <laughs> he was the director of How I Spent My Summer Vacation, one of Mel's better films, of course. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, oh, I should hell. have guessed. I was led down that path then. Oh, nice one, Graham. Dear. And there Apocalypto. Well, Apocalypto, oh, really? yes. I'm going to go and punch myself in the face. Um, <laughs> also an excellent film Apocalypto yeah. I love Apocalypto it's great I must have told you the story about the when I saw it's that too in wordy. what my story <laughs> Apocalypto no, no. <laughs> Apocalypto far oh, too yeah. wordy far too so wordy, I, yeah. I sat there watching it and of course there's 18 lines of dialogue in the film all in ancient Mayan <laughs> so they got subtitles and within 10 minutes somebody in the audience got up and walked down and said I don't watch subtitle films what? Well, I'm was sorry. it you? No, it wasn't me. No, no, no. I knew what was coming. But I thought, great. And there's a lovely end to Apocalypto, but I digress. Hmm. So back are to they, Rambo. What did the guy think he was coming into? I don't know. It's just Cheltenham. Who knows? He uh, was, um, <laughs> he, the director was also um, assistant yeah. director on one of my favourite films, Man on Fire. Good film. Yeah. Mm. Is that the Denzel <laughs> film? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Another. Film actually set in Mexico as well. 
I never actually watched that film. I think I, I've started it a couple times, but it was like at hotels or something, you know, on TV. The first half is quite slow. And the second half, again, like I suppose like Rambo, it, it uh, ramps up in many ways. It is the same film. As we said, David Morrell didn't like it. As Elijah said earlier, he said it was, you know, exploitation. One of the reasons he said that is he had been working on his own script to uh, end it and him and Stallone had put an ending together, which he described as a soulful journey. And he can't talk about it because he's under contract. I think he's waiting for that contract to end so Morel could write his own Rambo final story to end that character, the film script that, that would have been. And I'd be very interested to see that. It would certainly be a lot different to this. I wonder if he'd actually give him more of a quote-unquote happy ending. I don't think Rambo can have a happy ending. I mean, if you look at all the films, there's only four that's got a relatively happy ending. Every other one doesn't. Three is not too bad. They just walk off after they wiped out most of the Russians. Um, But Which is what you do when you wipe out a bunch of Russians. You just walk off. Exactly. You just walk off. But Rambo's a tragic character. By the very definition, he cannot have a happy ending. Or do you think that I'm wrong? No, I think you're right. But I'm wondering if maybe the director had kind of done something not necessarily happy, but kind of bittersweet. I've lived in a world of death. I tried to come home, but I never really arrived. A part of my mind and soul got lost along the way. I mean, his whole life has has now crumbled away. He lived for that family. He lived for that sort of solitude in the desert with the horses. All of that's gone. I wonder if it would have ended like the shootest. Oh, that's now that is a really, really good point. (laughs) Yeah. So he doesn't technically have a happy ending, but it's not really a tragic ending as much. But also, if you define that, and again, we come back to this Western mythology that that infuses this film, and we'll talk about the very end in in a moment. But yeah, that Western mythology, he could have a, a younger person around him, say the girl survived. He doesn't pass his violence on to her to get revenge for him dying. I think that would have been that would have been very intriguing way to have taken this, so that yeah, the legacy of Vietnam stops with this person it doesn't create baggage for the next generation whereas as we are at the moment with the end of this film and again using western mythology we have an ending not unlike shane where he's potentially mortally wounded but he rides off into the sunset yeah Mm Actually, well, with the shootist, I mean, if the girl had survived and, you know, she put on a bandana and picked up his bow at the end, I think that would have been a bit too much for Rambo. And then Tomb Raider would have been born. (laughs) There you go, yeah, yeah. I don't know where they can go after this one. I think I I actually thought the end was okay after all the silliness in the tunnels. Yeah, with the flashbacks and then him riding out, potentially dying. But what I would add is, you know, the music score. So I just want to talk about the music. Brian Tyler did the score again for this one, as he did for Rambo 4. He infused the the Goldsmith themes from the first three films into this. When they're doing the flashbacks at the very end of all the Rambo films, and then you see him ride off, 
it's a five minute piece of music that brings together the best of Goldsmith, the best of Tyler. And it's an incredible piece of music, which we'll play out with on this show or a little snippet of it. It's genius. You know, where some of this film has dropped off and this is like, you know, the likes of Morel and that are not happy with it. Musically and artistically in that way, I, I think it's a tremendous send off. Yeah, no, I, I think the the music is incredible. I think music has a lot to do with how you end a film and how you feel afterwards. I think I may have mentioned it before, either on a podcast or just in discussion, about how the recent Ben-Hur remake I was going to be apathetic towards because it wasn't horrifically awful, but it still wasn't great. And then the end with a pop song. <laughs> I had blotted that. And not, not like even a mainstream. It was like a Christian artist pop song, which is like off-brand B-level Zed-style pop. It was awful. I walked out and I'm like, I hate this film. I hate this film. <laughs> Whereas with this Rambo Last Blood, it ends with the themes and it's it's a very melancholy tune. Yes. And there's, it allows you to kind of absorb the tragedy that you've just seen on screen. Mm. I can't believe that there'll be another one. I think that's it. But hopefully anyway. Okay. How old is he now? Uh, he's in his 70s. So that's... Oh, well. that- Despite all the negative reviews for Rambo Last Blood and everything you've heard here, I've got a bit on balance. I did quite enjoy it. 89 minutes, it rattled through. Not as graphically violent as Rambo 4, though it does come close on occasion. That collarbone still gives me a bit of a shiver. Uh, (laughs) This is very much a 70s B-movie. It has that feel. And again, when you consider the age of the character and the slip into modern-day politics, accidental or not, it sets up a tone for it that's not to be taken too seriously. As we've just said, I thought the ending's a fitting tribute to the character and the Jerry Goldsmith, Brian Tyler music, just a beautiful crescendo. So is this the end? Probably for Sylvester Stallone. However, a prequel film or TV series has been promised, which will be set in the days of Vietnam. But honestly, do we need that? So that's it. An almost 40-year trip through the Rambo films judging them as movies, and the impact of the global political world around them. I guess, like the character, the times shown were really depressing, and while action-packed, they bucked the trends of the action films of their time. At their best, they touched on dark subjects and had more substance than you would usually find in your standard action flick. One thing, and I mentioned this earlier, as action films go from sequel to sequel, the filmmakers usually find ways to tone down the gore to get lower certificates. Not so much in the Rambo series. It actually went the other way and it becomes more brutal and more bleak, in many cases darker as a story. And is that an act of desperate exploitation on the part of the filmmakers? Or is it an attempt to give a truer reflection of the world that we live in? I guess y'all can decide. So thank you everybody for taking part in this series and thanks to everybody for listening. We shall be back with another film series shortly. Thank you, okay. Jeff. That's it. Thank no, you, Elijah. Thank you. Thanks, Elijah. Thanks, Elijah.
They drew first blood, not me.